Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. We are supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, but it's sometimes hard to either be the mourner or to mourn with somebody because mourning is something that we don't necessarily share. And rejoicing comes so infrequently that it's hard to also do that. However, rejoicing is a signpost of heaven. You're listening to Rejoicing and Mourning by Reverend Christy Mannion. As Aaron said, we continue this morning in our series based in Romans chapter 12, 9 to 21. We're getting close to the end of the series. And in these verses, Paul paints a word portrait of all kinds of habits and dispositions and motivations that are part of the fabric of our life in Christ. So we're going to read this together or say it together, if you've been working hard on it. I will have to look. I know some of it, but. um, So let's do that together now, saying aloud from Romans uh, 12, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. So the corner of that portrait that we're looking at of life in Christ today is the corner that says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Only six words from Paul's pen. On the face of it, that sounds straightforward enough. We can get our hearts and our minds around rejoicing with someone who is overflowing with palpable joy. We can agree that being sensitive is important when someone is hurting. But actually living this out, 
asks us to zoom in pretty close to some of the more unpredictable edges of human experience and expression. It asks us to be stewards of our own feelings as we come into contact with the feelings of other people. Maybe for some of us, we're not very practiced on even acknowledging that we have strong feelings sometimes. We try to manage them carefully. The culture and faith tradition that has birthed and nurtured and grown this beautiful community of God's people tends to be so good at trusting God when things go badly. We do the best we can when things are hard. We're also pretty good at thanking God when things go well. But Paul's command invites us into something a little bit different from that. It hints at this possibility of a wholehearted, full-bodied engagement, redeemed expression, and reception of one another's emotional lives within the family of faith. We'll get to rejoicing, but I'm going to start with the morning. Could also be translated, weep with those who weep. Have you ever realized that weeping with those who weep implies that we can't all be strong all of the time? It assumes that sometimes we might be the ones weeping ourselves. So that raises a question for me. How willing would I be to share my tears in church? How eager are you? Before you even answer that, let's go one step further and explore the kind of tears that Paul's talking about there. The word that he uses for mourn is clio. And it means, quite literally, to cry out or to wail. It's used for the loud crying of mourners in the Gospels when someone has died. It's used when Peter weeps after recognizing that he's denied Jesus. It's used for Paul's sadness in Philippians over those who are the enemies of Christ. A parallel Old Testament word is the word baka which means to weep by reason of joy or sorrow. It would include lament, complaint, remorse, or repentance. And I kind of love that word, baka, because you can almost hear somebody crying when you say it. Baka. So just to be clear, God's people aren't required to sniffle softly and reach for the tissues when things are upside down. In modern terms, sometimes even God's people ugly cry. Mostly we ugly cry by ourselves in our culture. I can count on one hand the number of times I have witnessed that in a gathered church community. And I can count on no hands at all the number of times I'd like to be the one doing it. Why is that, I wonder? Some of you belong to a community gym, and when you go there, you fully expect that as you are working out and other people are working out, you will respect the effort and the sweat 
and all of the things going into that work for a person at the gym. But when we come to church or a Bible study or a small group, the gymnasium of our faith, we try hard to look as though everything is under control. I've lived among you long enough to know that this congregation knows grief, knows pain. I know that for some of you, you think long and hard about when and how to return to this sanctuary after a loss because the pew will feel emptier. Your tears will be just behind your eyes. You might kind of lose it and you wonder how that's going to go. Why does our pain isolate us? Given that so many kinds of grief are common, living and in dying in this church, what makes sharing that feel so hard? Because our weariness isn't unreasonable. Sharing our pain can go wrong lots of different ways. Here's three possible dangers. Number one, we know that if we share our pain with other people, we might be misunderstood. We know other people might not understand it or take it as seriously as we do, and so maybe we don't want to risk sharing it. In the first chapter of 1 Samuel, Hannah goes to the tabernacle, and as she prays there and she's pouring out her heart before the Lord, her mouth is moving and the tears are streaming, and Eli the priest does not know what to think. He concludes that she is drunk. He tells her to put away her wine, even. So Hannah has to rush to explain herself. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman, she says. I have been praying here with great anguish and grief. And now that Eli understands something of her loss, he's free to receive those tears and to bless Hannah on her way and ask the Lord to give her what she has asked for. But Hannah's story speaks to the risk, right? We might be mischaracterized or misunderstood. That can make the pain greater. Number two, if we share our pain, we could be mocked. In Psalm 35, David writes about how he mourns in solidarity with his adversaries. When they were ill, David says, I put on sackcloth and I humbled myself with fasting. I went around mourning as though for a friend or a brother. But when I stumbled, they gathered around in glee. They slandered me without ceasing. Some of you haven't had your willingness to enter someone else's pain reciprocated when it's your turn to hurt. Some of you have had pain mocked, and that is salt in the wounds. And so, instead of sharing, you've learned to keep those things under the surface, armor up, because it's too hard. Number three, if we share our pain, Sometimes other people will try to explain it for us. Here we might think of Job and his friends. At first, Job's friends are so good in sitting with him, 
on the ground, seven days in silence as they recognize silently this calamity, loss of family, loss of fortune, loss of health. So they just sit with him. They wait for him to speak first. But then as they try to start untangling that in speech after speech, those friends, well-intentioned, try to identify what in Job went wrong to explain this suffering in his life. Maybe sometimes we don't want to share our pain because we don't feel strong enough to weather others' explanations for it. And so maybe it's exactly because it's so dangerous to share our pain that Paul tells us to respond to each other's pain with tenderness, with tears of our own. He says, quite simply, weep with those who weep. Coming alongside someone who is hurting doesn't require us to explain it, doesn't even require that we fully understand it, at least not at first. Sometimes the hurting person's, speak, a hurting person's tears speak of things even they don't understand. So at first, all we need to do is get a metaphorical container and catch the tears. That's what God does for us. Psalm 56 verse 8 has a beautiful picture of God's concern for the pain of his people. Depending on the translation, it's either that God writes down our tears in his scroll or that he catches them in his bottle. The message paraphrase says it this way. You've kept track of every toss and turn through the sleepless nights. Each tear entered in your ledger and each ache written in your book. Friends, God sees us and God hears us. His way with us may sometimes lead through paths that are terribly hard. And in those times, we cling to those promises that we are not outside the grasp of God, that he has us on a path that's ultimately for our good, that he will see it done. Not only does God see our pain, he knows it firsthand in Jesus. Isaiah 53 has those beautiful words, he took up our pain and bore our suffering. John 11, Jesus too weeps at the death of a friend. The God who sees us and the God who knows us is also the God who saves us. And so in Jesus, the triune God has a plan to go with us, to redeem us along the way and to make us perfectly whole. In his book, Feeling Like God, pastor and professor David Crump writes this. Christ is more than a sympathetic friend who has walked this road before. He's also the indwelling God who now walks this road with me. Consequently, I am no longer alone. Christ now sees all that I see in the way that I can see it. That's the company of God. Jesus' fully divine, fully human life takes all of the inner complexities that we experience and unites them to his own life. 
he, his life, as he lives it out in us, heals our insides gradually, maybe very slowly. But in Christ, we will eventually become perfectly ourselves. That kind of being known, being beloved, the words you use before we go to prayer, beloved, opens up the possibility for people in pain to begin loosening our grip on holding everything together. When we know we are known fully by a perfect God and loved perfectly, even in our weakness, we're in a good place. A long time ago, I attended a retreat here at a different church in Grand Rapids. And for part of that time in a big room, we were welcomed to spend quiet time with God individually, but in the company of other people doing the same thing. So I tried to settle my heart and settle my mind, get organized, and I suddenly started to hear a sound. I realized that it was a voice. And I thought, oh, Someone is speaking quietly their prayers out loud to God. And then the sound grew louder. And then it grew louder until it was completely overtaking the whole room. It was the sound of someone sobbing uncontrollably with grief over a much-loved mother who was dying. So I popped open my eyes, looked around, located the woman who was crying and felt really unsure about what to do. This was a pillar of the congregation. On her knees, tears before God. As I watched, friends began to circle around. The crying didn't stop, but there they were holding the bucket to catch the tears. That church member's strength was in her vulnerability. Her openness allowed friends to come around. She gave all of us a window into the sharper contours of what loss feels like. And somehow, both culturally and spiritually, she was at home enough in that space, in the care of God among those people, to ride the deep waves of grief with others. And I realized I needed to pay attention to that, not to my quiet prayer, but to the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of someone else gathered to do work with God. For me, this became a picture of grief together in the body of Christ, holy and hard. But there is good news. David Crump goes on to describe the emotional freedom that Christ gives to his people. In Christ, he says, we have been given the prospects of complete emotional well-being. We are set free from the crippling effects of our separation from the Creator. And so now our emotions are freed to become what God always intended them to be. Now, we may possibly experience self-giving love that's free of smothering possessiveness. We experience appropriate jealousy with no hint of selfish envy, necessary sadness that doesn't bleed into despair, righteous anger purified of all bitterness and revenge 
as we patiently wait for God's solution. And joy, too. Joy that elevates the senses, physical and spiritual, whether it comes from the tiniest coincidence or the lifelong fulfillment of something hoped for. So wholeness doesn't come all at once. It comes gradually. It requires the support of lots of different people, including therapists and mental health providers. But the wholeness that can come to us definitively and gradually makes way for the redemption of all of those emotions that we feel, including the joy. Rejoice with those who rejoice, Paul also says. In his letter to the Philippian church, written no less from the Roman prison where he was staying, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. If we take Paul's imprisonment and circumstances seriously, it can't be that we rejoice only when everything is so great all the time. Rather, we rejoice despite the things that are wrong. We experience joy as we delight in Christ himself. Christian joy is not the happiness of just enjoying the good gifts of the here and now, though that's part of it. Instead, joy is pointing ahead to the certain future that we have with God, which gives us comfort and joy right now. Joy, C.S. Lewis says, is heaven's most important work. In letters to Malcolm, Lewis says that in this world where the tears are abundant, the occasions for joy only sort of peek through. Certain qualities, he says, like joy, that must belong to the celestial condition, they hardly have a chance to get through to us here. They can't project any image of themselves except in activities which, for us, are frivolous, playful. Lewis goes on that dance and games are frivolous. They're unimportant down here because this isn't the right place for them. This isn't where they really belong. Here, they're just a rest from the life that we are living. But in this world, Lewis says, everything's upside down. Everything is upside down. Those playful things, which if they could be prolonged here, would be irresponsible for us, those playful things are most like what in a better country is the goal. Joy, the serious business of heaven. Rejoice with those who rejoice too, friends. In this place where mourning is both palpable and common, those redeemed by Jesus rejoice together as well. Even when there are tears, take some time for play. Splash in the lake. Perfect your golf swing. Read a good book and tell somebody about it. Watch the eagle diving for the fish. Share the pictures of your grandchildren. Delight in the gifts of this life with other people. Go to the weddings. Be a little bit silly as you dance. Celebrate baptisms. For goodness sake, eat the birthday cake. Maybe two servings. Claim and share both of these daily both the daily and the profound glimpses of joy in our life with God. 
Because these daily glimpses are signposts for us that we need to hear about from each other. They're showing us the true country of our citizenship, where all will be joy in the presence of Jesus. Thanks be to God. Lord our God, share our griefs and multiply our joys that we may be children of yours who look ahead to a better country, wholeheartedly anticipating what you are doing and what you will do in us and through us. People saved by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.